You're listening to Cryptalk. We are a podcast about decentralization and cryptocurrency. We host conversations on the future of money and how we can design a more accessible future. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting me on Patreon. It's one of the ways I get to keep doing what I love, and a little support goes a long way. There will be a link in the description. Today, I am speaking with Carl Anthony, the business director of Fuse. Fuse is a blockchain network building infrastructure for open source money. In this episode, we talk about the vision behind Fuse, how it aims to disrupt the mobile payments industry, and what the future of crypto might look like. Can you remind me what your um, title is and what you let's, yeah, let's call it, are let's in Fuse? So I, I run business development for the foundation, right? Business development. Uh, yeah, so it could either be, and, and depending on what, day or whatever, business development director or business development, whatever makes the most sense. But I guess director would make more sense in this context, just to give some validity to the conversation. But we're all startups at Fuse, right? There's only 20, 20 something of us and everybody does okay. Robert, who's, who's, you know, relatively senior in our company, he often refers to himself as the janitor, right? So the janitor. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's a good name. I, I, yeah. I try chief of staff. He comes back with janitor. And, uh, <laughs> Hard to top that one. Um, yeah. So you have 20 people. Are you mostly based out of London or is it pretty remote team? No, we're, we're very global, right? So we're all over yeah. the place. Um, we have our kind of core team in um, in Israel. So it's where most of our devs are mm. and product team are. Um, yep. We've got guys in Puerto Rico, guys in Angola, guys in London, Paris, Austria. We have some in Russia. Like it, we're all over the place. Wow. Cool. Okay. Well, maybe before we get too into that, can you tell me what is Fuse? How would you define it? Yeah, so I always say this. We have to split it into two, right? So we're now one EVM compatible blockchain with a delegated proof of state consensus. But I would say split mm-hmm. it in two. So one half of, of the network is, is quite traditional, I guess in this space, traditional. Um, it's a rich, diverse, robust uh, DeFi ecosystem, uh, heavily interoperable. We have um, known protocols like uh, BT Finance and SushiSwap that exist on chain. Mm-hmm. We have a native deck that's been spun out as a DAO called Voltage Finance that's on chain there. Uh, and then we have a, a bunch of native projects that are also there. So Ampere, which is like a tomb fork, that's a native project that just recently launched, doing quite a bit in TV. So this is the traditional uh, uh, traditional crypto space, as it were. And then the other half of the network is um, really focused around uh, local economies. And we, we term it local economies. It's really mobile payments, right? So how mm. can you provide um, crypto-related services or crypto-related infrastructure in a way that actually becomes a, a more cost-effective medium of exchange. So the example I always give for this is that we, we support a festival. You know when you go to a music festival and uh, they give you, you give them money and they give you plastic tokens or raffle tickets or something like this as your medium right. of exchange for drinks, a captive currency as it were. Well, we, we recently did one of those in, in Thailand um, and we worked with an integration partner that was out there. And the way that they put it together was that they used the, they forked the Fuse wallet, which is openly forkable. It's an open source infrastructure for money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they forked that. And then they, they all the merchants and all the consumers transacted using the Fuse network. There were 150,000 wow. transactions. Sorry, um, could, this was for a music festival or this was? It was for, the, it was for a music it festival. It was for yes. a music festival. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So all on the Fuse network, cool. they did 150,000 transactions. Um, they did $1.2 million in revenue. So oh, if you... <laughs> Take traditional uh, payment rails and the way they're set up, um, Stripe, Visa, PayPal. Traditionally, you know, dollar for dollar, it's 2.9% plus 30 cents per transaction. So right. to put that into context, that should be, for that small festival, you know, it's a small music festival, $81,000 for consumers and merchants to transact doesn't make sense. But in doing that on the Fuse network, it was um, in real money, in today's money, is uh, just less than $100 in terms of transact there. So total, yeah, total. All the transaction of the Fuse network costs a hundred dollars. Um, wow. Yeah. So th- this is where we, we substantial you know, really, difference. Yeah. Yeah, and we really bought into this <laughs> idea of more inclusive finance. More, you know, DeFi is DeFi as we know it as you know, natives and, and DGens or whatever you want to call us that are all partaking in this. It's still still got a lot of friction to it, right? I mean, MetaMask is not. It's intuitive to us now. But in general, it's not an intuitive process to, to right. the average Joe, as it were, or Jane that are going to come into the space. Um, but we, we, you know, we, we're trying to fight to a place where it becomes ubiquitous. Like it should be as your. I don't know how tech savvy your parents are, but my parents are not. So <laughs> to the point where 
my non-savvy parent should, if your parent is not savvy, should be able to transfer uh, funds between each other, borderless payments, international remittance, however you want to say it, um, benefit from the cost and the cheapness, but in a medium of exchange, they understand. So they exchange in dollars, but they use the blockchain, they use Fuse, it costs them nothing, but they are happy they've made a transaction between each other. So that's how uh, I kind of like to explain that. Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it, I always no, have to no, that's it great. explain to both. That's a great place to start. I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to go through all the details. Um, so you, you kind of split it out into two. Um, the first was the EVM compatible chain, I think. And the second is this more like locally yeah, focused so transaction. The whole thing is an EVM. Yeah, the whole thing is or, an sorry, EVM the whole thing is EVM chain. compatible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so it's this L1 EVM compatible chain. And I just say that, you know, split it in two. And these are the two use cases, like broad general use cases that we have for that. Payments, yeah, I'm really fascinated by this. Yeah, by the mobile payments, that 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 really fascinates me. So um, maybe this is a stupid question, but something that came to my mind is like, because I've got my own theories behind or reasoning why Visa or Square, or whatever, is is more costly. But why why to you is Visa and like the large institutions so much more expensive? Like you said, it would cost them like eighty thousand dollars to do all those transactions versus the Fuse network. Yeah, could you just like explain why that is in simple terms or what your perspective I mean, of it, it is? It's essentially peace of mind and remediation, right? You, you have to remember that the central, the centerpiece of this entire industry is that uh, non, non-double-spend, non non-remediative part of the industry where mm-hmm. uh, transactions are final, right? But um, service providers like Visa or Stripe provide that middle layer of, um, of remediation or mediation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, in there where you can kind of visa us the security partner for all those payments and you know if you you know if you make a payment that you didn't want to make or was fraudulent or you, you made it in error um there's a way to reverse those payments and bring them back um and just in the end it becomes very expensive it becomes very bloated and you, you put in these i think if you look at kind of like aml and kyc procedures they cost banks and services like 20 billion a year or something along those lines there if i remember correctly but actually the the, re- the return on investment on that is isn't very isn't very high um they still need a ton of profit uh they still need to operate um so where do those costs get passed on to if they become more if, if regulation becomes higher in certain jurisdictions those costs are paid passed on to the consumer right but we mm. don't have that we're a public blockchain uh we're decentralizing the space so we don't have any of those costs the the fuse token is the gas for the fuse network, um, and anybody's free to bit, you know think about it in, in the sense that fuse network is a almost like an OEM, right? It's a platform anybody can build on, anybody can do whatever they want to do on it and utilize it. Um, there are service providers that, that we hope and will increase in number that exist upon chain that can support you, very much like a, a Ubuntu versus a Red Hat kind of scenario, right? Ubuntu is free; it's open source. Anybody can create anything they want to off the back of Ubuntu. Um, hmm. But equally, if there are providers out there that you want to work with that can give you more of a bespoke uh, enterprise-level solution, uh, that those Red Hat people also exist on the network as well. And we hope to grow those Red Hat people in, in, in larger numbers. So the, the, the gap is, I guess, the bureaucracy, right? <laughs> the 2.9% right. is bureaucracy. Which yeah, we, you've, you know. yeah, okay. you've automated a lot of the processes. A lot of the security and safety that people feel with a large institution has cost that is often unreal or... People yeah. don't think about it, but it, it's expensive. It's expensive to pay yeah, of for course. that. We, we, of course, I'm not saying that the mainstream are ready to take accountability for every transaction they make as they want to go through. Right. But that accountability, uh, personally speaking, I, you know, it, it, I like to have that accountability for myself. And um, hmm. I think there'll be there'll be individuals out there and businesses that see opportunity to not only provide uh, cheaper prices to their customers, but also greater profits to themselves. You know, this is a double win right <laughs> lower prices on one side greater profit on the other side it's, it's probably worth it's probably worth removing that step in order to, to support that and you know just to go further to that uh, part of the ideology of why we do that is uh let's use walmart i'll use walmart as an example or kmart you know as is popular in edmonton as we just discussed right kmart is over there mm-hmm. um so every dollar that you spend at, at kmart is 10 cents of that dollar will stay in the local economy, you know, to, towards developing that local economy, towards building that local economy. Whereas if you have your local mom and pop store that exists in those areas, if you spend a dollar right. in there, it's more likely that 40 cents on that dollar is going to remain 
in there. And then you get into this concept of like donor economics of growing from the inside out. Um, and it begins to empower those local communities, begins to provide more opportunities and we hope encourages innovation and, and this kind of thing. So it's not just we're passing the accountability back, we're passing ownership, we're giving empowerment and that's that's what you know, that's our ideology and our ethos. Awesome. Yeah, this is great stuff. A lot of localism. I, I'm I'm a huge fan of this and um yeah, I like a lot of decentralization and localism, but it's nice to hear someone else talk about it. Um, so, okay, you mentioned this music festival, which obviously was mm -hmm. successful and went well. Is Are there more music – like um, when you see yourself deploying your product and um, creating a name for yourself and, and getting traction, is it – are you hoping to target more music festivals, more – like isolated type situations or is the dream and vision to eventually tackle um, like all transactions in a certain, in like a city or like a municipal zone? Like how, how big is your dream, so to speak? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's expansive, right? As you start to get yeah. tangential, it can kind of go any which direction it wants to go to. Uh, I'll give another example uh, of a project that's on Fuse Network that, you know, we, we love and we think they're great. It's called uh, People Eats, P-E-E-P-L. Um, mm -hmm. People Eats was the project. It's just called People Now. It's all about people as their website. And they uh, originally grew as a, a challenger to the likes of Deliveroo or Uber Eats and that kind of mm. um, localized delivery, right? So th those services cost 30% of the merchant transactions that would go there. Um, what the what people were doing were helping um, local businesses connect with local consumers on a much mm. cheaper space using the Fuse Network to transact. Um, as they create their token, their token can be used as loyalty tokens or reward tokens or, you know, cashback or discount or whatever you, however you want to phrase it, it can be used in any way, shape or form to incentivize the usage uh, and the transactional base within the local community. Um, they, they actually got a, a grant from the, the, the local council there, um, the local authority, they call it in Liverpool. So Liverpool is where they kind of based out of, uh, I think it was around 700,000 pounds GDP. So I think that was the number. Don't hold me to that. There's an article about it I can share with you later yeah. as well. Um, to, to support that, to support local business, support local um, economies and, and this kind of thing. That, you know, Since then, they've, they've kind of evolved now more into a, a platform where other um, other providers can build upon um, their platform. Still on the Fuse Network, but they've built a platform with like a kind of a marketplace. I don't know the exact term for this, but they have like a marketplace platform. We, we It's not that I don't know it personally. It's that it's... it's fresh it's unique right and what's the actual mm -hmm. term for it could be marketplace could be deemed as a marketplace could be deemed as a platform but it's a layer uh, that's built on top of the fuse network where other people can go and put their local providers there so somebody from coventry my hometown could create a a business on top of that and they could begin to um pass on those same savings that that people were able to do in liverpool and, and use that to build that out so it begins to look at this place okay now we're not just talking about um, now we're not just talking about uh, creating greater profits of merchants and lower prices of consumers. Now we're thinking: is there a way to create currencies that can be regenerative to local areas? You know, more, more captive. Mm. You've seen these local currency um, uh, experiments that kind of popped up all, all over the world. Like our CEO actually was involved in in some of those early on in, in Colo. And his argument and our debate actually is is around uh, incentivization of those kind of things. Like, uh, how, how can you incentivize people really to use use those local currencies as they're in there. Um, is it enough to just think that it's going to lift up the local community? Of course, some people are going to have to work out how they're going to make money and things like that. If we start to go a bit more experiment, this is not tied into the charity, but if we start to expand that and you know, extrapolate that a little bit, if there is a local currency, let's say, I don't know, um, we'll call it Edmonton dollar. Right? So if there's an Edmonton yeah. dollar uh, and you're trading in a week and people are using that through the week and Edmonton is doing great revenue and it's paired against, I don't know, let's just pair it against, um, let's pair it against Fuse for this period. So Edmonton dollars paired against Fuse. And on the Fuse network, you also have um, Calgary dollar uh, paired mm -hmm. against Fuse. You now have this choice while Calgary are doing all these things that, like they're, they're doing all these um, schemes or they're having like uh, incentives for people to come and shop. Maybe they have a parade or maybe they have like a theme park or something like this, mm -hmm. a, a fair, a local fair. Well, actually, I think that the the ubiquity of the Calgary dollar is going to be greater this week than I think the Edmonton dollar is going to do. So I can actually say I'm going to bet on the local economy of, of Calgary. Right. 
Yeah. I'm going to bet on them to do very good this week. It, and it becomes, it increases the velocity of those transactions as they go through that base. This is, like I say, not official strategy, but the, these are the kind of areas and directions that you can go, go to as you, you start drifting there. Yeah, it reminds me of an, another project I know of in the crypto space um, called CityCoins, which is popping up in places in the US. I think they have one in Miami and now maybe San Francisco and maybe New York, actually. Um, and the same, I, are they I, the same people who did uh, Dubai Coin as well? Do they also do Dubai Coin? I, I don't Dubai know. It's probably the same people, but I haven't. I actually haven't kept up with the project recently. But um, yeah, it's just this really cool idea where cities have their own token or their own currency, kind of like, like the same way a country would, and then you can bet on the economy. And and more than just betting, you choose to participate in the economy that you believe in, I guess, and, and, and fund it. Um, it's an attractive yeah, so that's really interesting. To bring, it's an attractive economy to bring your liquidity to, uh, and that, that yeah, gives yeah. you an opportunity. Yeah, you become part of this collective. So, And when you were using your example, you were, just to be clear like if, uh, theoretically you could have like Edmonton coin on the fuse network, Calgary coin on the fuse network. Yes. You can have all these different ones. Um, I mean, okay. it's free for, yeah, exactly. It's free for anybody to like the fuse network is an open place. It can be free to design. Someone could create a city coins on the fuse network, for instance, so they could go down that route or somebody yeah. create their own currency that existed there. Like it's a, it's an open book. Uh, I think that what would eventually happen if those city coins, for instance, will cross chain, um, we would suggest that using a canonical standard for bridging would, would work there and then you can begin to connect all those uh, pieces of cross-chain liquidity across the board. Yeah. Now, um, okay, so I have a question about the application, like basically the user interface. So if, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I believe you, you have your own mobile app or basically like digital wallet that <clears throat> is associated yeah. with Fuse. Is that true? Which from my understanding is very unique because I know a lot of other platforms have some sort of wallet usually but they're usually web-based um and they're usually kind of clunky not to throw shade at anyone um, but i've used a few and had a really hard time so are you prioritizing or it's like from going on your website and doing a little bit of background research it seems to me that you're really pushing forward this idea of uh, accessibility for the mobile user is that also part of this how how does that factor in UX is a big part of this, right? It's really important, but it's a really clean, yeah. uh, understandable experience. And, you know, I used the example of MetaMask earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I love MetaMask, right? But I, I would say that, could I get my mum or dad to use MetaMask? <laughs> no, absolutely it's not. It's very challenging. No way. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I throw no shade at those guys because I find it incredibly functional for the, for, for the stuff that I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of simplifying that experience for the retail user, um, so we have an iOS app and an Android app. We actually are a publisher and, some other projects uh, have launched um, mobile apps through the Fuse network as well. So we have this forkable um, app called Fuse Cash. And Fuse Cash, uh, you know, mm. if I want to send you, if we've got contact details, I can send you money via phone numbers. Uh, for instance, it's quite easy. Uh, we have Fiat on-ramping in, with Ramp Network, with Zample, uh, with Simplex. Um, that, so we, we have like quite a wide base there where you can on-ramp your dollars. And we, we have Fuse Dollar, which is backed one-to-one with USDC. But as you come on, it's very easy, therefore, and there's an easy button to just say, okay, I want to earn on my dollars, so we will pay um, uh, an APR or APY on those dollars. Um, you can swap your tokens within the app as well, so any tradable asset that is on the Voltage Finance Network is also free to be tradable on, on the Fuse Cash app. But it's very it's a very simple app, right? So it makes it very easy to use it. So hopefully That's wonderful. I still think it's I think it's still a far cry from my mother and your mother being able to send money to each other across the blockchain but we're getting mm. closer so if they have each other's mm. phone numbers it can be quite simply and if they're on the app and they have some money on there they could just say okay send send 10 dollars or 10 fuse or 10 edmonton coin send them to um send them to my friend and it should just be able to go over there and, and things we're implementing going forward um social recovery in terms of the, the app itself so that people don't have to remember their private keys or, or private phrases right. or these kind of things. I mean, I'm going to put a question back on you. What's your succession plan, Chris, in terms of how, how do you, how do your loved ones get access to your? Oh, um, like if I, yeah, if I was to pass yeah. and all of a sudden everything's locked up. Yeah. Currently I have none. <laughs> so, yeah. so my succession, my succession plan is nothing. So basically, I mean, not that I'm, I'm, I have a, amassed a great net worth, anyway but my 
my parents, my friends, my family would get nothing if I, if I was to suddenly drop dead, which is interesting. Uh, um, and probably something I should figure out eventually. Um, I, I just, you're not alone though. You're not alone. Right? But yeah, I imagine a, a lot of people issue. are kind of like, it's like, what do you do? Cause you can share. Cause I use a lot, like I use MetaMask. And so it's like, well, I could give them my seed phrase, but then, you know, do I trust someone else with my private key and are they going to write it down or store it in their Google drive and maybe it gets hacked. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's a tricky situation, but it's a tricky situation. Yeah. The, for me, it's funny you bring that up. That's a great question. And something that I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even, I, I actually <laughs> hadn't even thought about that really. But, um, yeah, for me, it's really like, I, I, I've been, um, I, I can't remember the first time I opened up a wallet, but it's, I've, I've been doing this for maybe about a year playing around with different wallets, MetaMask, trying different exchanges online. And it's incredibly challenging just to figure out how things work. And, and I'm pretty tech savvy. And so I can't imagine anyone who's not comfortable doing strange tech things on the internet, trying to figure out MetaMask. So when I hear someone is putting a lot of time into developing a mobile app, that's user-friendly that someone's mom could use. I think, wow, that's, that's innovative in crypto actually, because it doesn't seem like anyone else is doing that. So anyway, that's really cool. I, I guess a question I have just really quickly is, um, like if someone was to develop like Edmonton coin on the fuse network. So it sounds like you would also fork the app and have a separate app to transact yeah, you, the you, Edmonton coins or you, or you could do it all through the same you, app. You could do it all through the, the same app if, if it was there listed. You, you would have to apply for, because anybody can create a token, you, you'd have to apply for like kind of whitelist and verification. So there's a level there where you could say, okay, I want to be traded on this particular DEX. Um, yeah. I'd like to get my token whitelisted. So anybody can create tokens on, on the Fuse Network. There's no restriction and we have a really low barrier to entry with that as well. We had a product that's been revamped at the moment, Fuse Studio, which is a codeless mm -hmm. way to create your own communities, right? So this is also part of that. So you can just go in there and you say, I want to mint uh, X amount of tokens and is there inflation? Does it burn? What, 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 like you set the parameters up there and we have plugins. Yeah. So do you want to add a ramp? You want to add a ramp on ramp as well into it? And you have all these elements you can design your own communities you go through. Um, that token, therefore, wouldn't become immediately tradable upon the Fuse Cash app. But um, mm. if it was verified and whitelisted by and Voltage, I have to announce as a separate team, right? So it's a separate DAO. Um, if it was whitelisted by the Voltage team who accepted that as a tradable asset, <clears throat> the Fuse Cash app, which is currently just plugged into Voltage, would allow um, Everton Corn to be tradable on, directly onto that um, onto that app as it would exist. There is an option, of course, that if you just wanted to create your Edmonton City, you know, token, community, or whatever it would be, there's also the option that you could fork that and turn your own Edmonton wallet um, to exist there. Uh, and therefore, if you have your own Edmonton wallet and this kind of captain thing, you can do all your own branding and design, and, but the source code is there for you. It's available on GitHub. You just fork the wallet. It's yours to use as you want to use it. Um, hmm. And the example I gave in Thailand, that was their own and that was their own forked wallet as well. So they wiped it. It was, it was underrun. Um, it was with a service provider, um, with a partner, sorry, uh, Bitaza, who are out there that, that, that helped us do this um, wonderful use case. Okay, I got another question for you. Um, Far away. <laughs> okay, how would, I, how would I phrase this? So you mentioned something about low barrier to entry to create a coin, which I think is really awesome. And I really... Hmm. Uh, I, I'm an advocate for low barriers to entry and kind of like free, uh, like a, a space where people can build freely. Now, I've heard from some people, some people's critiques of crypto is that it's so easy to create coins, you never know which ones to trust. And some certain tokens and projects end up becoming like, kind of like Ponzi schemes. Um, now, I'm not saying at all that that's a fuse thing or a specific to you guys or anything. I've just heard people like when I think when people hear low barrier to entry, some people get um, uh, a little bit scared or wary. I, I don't know. This isn't me. I'm just speaking from what I've heard from other people. Sure, sure, sure. How, how do you like what what is your opinion when you have conversations like that? Because there have been people who've thrown the word Ponzi at crypto and said like, oh, this is a scam like anyone can create a token anyone can create this and turn it into like a, a bust um what, what do you how do you respond 
to those kind of accusations. Think, Not to say that that's specific to Fuse, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I mean, I think first and foremost, I think the word Ponzi is a very overused word in this day and age. Mm-hmm. If we really, you know, to that point of people paying money in to the bottom of the pyramid to partake, to climb up the pyramid, to, and the people at the top of the pyramid are always going to benefit... I mean, can you tell me a medium of exchange or like an asset that <laughs> yeah. isn't directly a Ponzi at this point in time? Like, it's a very freely used word, right? And if we were to right. use it yeah. as broad as it would, you know, is therefore the, the American dollar a Ponzi? Is that, you know, I'm not going to say any of these things are Ponzi, but, you know, under that very broad description of what a Ponzi could be, then everything could be a Ponzi. First, right. that, that's what I would say about Ponzi. People Secondly, benefit always. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Um, diversification you know the idea of diversifying your assets did, did elon diversify when he went to tesla or did he push like you know a significant amount of his net worth into tesla and is now uh you know one of the richest people in the world he didn't diversify so is diversification really a solid strategy for a lot of people i guess it depends mm-hmm. on different people's risk appetites does that make it a ponzi no it doesn't make it a ponzi or it does make it, a, it neither or right um, right. But people invest in something they believe in. So I would just say that that word Ponzi is, is very applicable to a, a, a lot broader than just, you know, the broad collection of all these different cryptos that are out there. And then I think conversely to your point about the number of cryptos that exist, that there's this argument, you know, I think it was uh, Gary Gensler or somebody said, you know, I don't see a world where there's a requirement for 5,000, 6,000 private currencies. I think somebody told me today on CoinMarketCap there are like 19,000 tokens and that's not right. even classifying all the different chains that can create different projects. That so there's yeah. probably significantly more. I would just say that you know it's not the first time in human history that we've had a, a tremendous number of different private currencies. You know, we we had a you know we we had a soy wheat pair before we even knew what a pair was. Right? You were you were trading mm. with copper for iron. You were trading with iron for aluminium, or you would I don't think you had a, or uh, copper, yeah, whatever it would be. Right? There were all these different things that you would have to trade to make basis of. Uh, China had introduced paper money and retired it before the West had even gotten to the idea of uh, of, of paper money, right? So, <laughs> yeah. and then they came back to it. These things ebb and flow, and I, I think that when <clears throat> the, the utility and the function of the current dominant medium of exchange um, seems to be stagnating in some way, shape, or form, there tends to be this period of discovery, which I, I think is is what mm. goes forward now. So we're having a period of discovery where we're we're establishing. You know, I'm not going to say that Shiba Inu is going to be the dominant currency. <laughs> it could be. We're going through a period of discovery, uh, you know, whatever. And there are a lot of people who are invested in that, right? And more power to them mm-hmm. if they want to be involved in that, as long as they know what they're involved in, they know the risk they're undertaken. Not personally for me at, at this point in my uh, at this point in my life. Um, may have been a few years ago, to be fair. Um, but as we go, you know, as we kind of move forward, there are this period of discovery where people are looking for, you know, what's the next thing that's going to come in? It, Cardano had a great run, right? It had a great run to be in a top three cryptocurrency um, while it was in its development phase, right? There was a lot of R&D capital, therefore, flooding into it because people were trying to understand and discover whether or not this would be the Bitcoin and Ethereum simultaneous killer, right? So Mm -hmm. this idea of discovery and and when we're looking for, we use gold as a backing to the dollar at some point. Uh, We no longer use gold. We move to this kind of fiat uh, model of money. And is that now functional? Is it not functional? things maybe it is maybe it's the winner we don't know right we don't know what's going to be the winner in 50 years time maybe uh fiat in its traditional sense i think it will be by the way but fiat in its traditional sense distributed by 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 the central banks through the banking system will be the ultimate uh thing that pleases the most amount of people that is the most inclusive tool and at least boundaries to making more things happen maybe that is the winner at this point in time people are often against cbdc's in this space particularly i I mean, I'm I'm up for CBDCs. Why not? CBDCs can, can exist. Can you define what CBC, CBDC again? S- sorry, yeah, central bank S- digital currency. So right. you know, you, yeah. you see them now. They're trying to introduce basically their own like government government cryptocurrency. I mean, there's a basis and a usage for them, I guess, in terms of like these central banks at the moment are B two B businesses. You know, they're distributing yeah. their currency through the banks. A central bank digital currency would allow them to also offer a B two C arm through their businesses. They can have a B two B to C. They can have a B two B business. They can have I don't think I'm not sure if they're the winner, but I invite competition into the market. I'm a bit of a competition, Max. And you, you, you kind of maybe you'll see that through the theme of what I talk about. Um, yeah. I actually, you know, my, my point that I always make as well is I think that capitalism in its current state has stagnated somewhat. But I think that when you look at the kind of the golden age of capitalism when it existed, it had competition. Right? It had an alternative ideology that wasn't dominant, but definitely provided an alternative in terms of like worldview. 
and it made capitalism just more and more effective and it just kind of grew through that and i just think competent i'm not saying you know let's bring back communism let's bring back socialism or, or whatever it would be you know each of their owners they want to do these things but i'm saying that competition is a great thing and if central banks want to compete with cryptocurrency i only see that as a positive thing and if if banks mm. also want to find alternatives to compete it, it'll only make us better yeah, from that right. perspective Right, so bring it on is, is what you. I just love competition. I think I think competition yeah. is the, the way you get forward. You know, it's, it's one of the biggest. It, competition is a big catalyst. Like crime is also a big catalyst, right? So this idea of mm. if you're at risk of crime or if you're in danger or you you know if you're being scammed, people get so smart so quickly to having been scammed or having been through a crime. It's a great educator. It's a great um, it's a great protagonist to to bring uh, technological advancement along as well. Hmm. To help solve those problems. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. 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 If you if there's an urgency, then you move quicker. It's just that's just how we operate. Unfortunately, that's that's the way we are. So you're happy with the government adopting crypto? I'm assuming you're you you're happy as long as they're not doing things to regulate and unfairly skew the competitive landscape, so that they have a greater advantage over the private players, maybe. Or interesting. Um, they may try to do that, but wouldn't that make the um, they're offering less competitive and less attractive, and therefore <laughs> open up a, and it would open up an opportunity for somebody to compete, right? So, if a particular jurisdiction, yeah. let's say if the EU yeah, decided to, so. you know, go down that, then there will be alternative markets where these things are a bit more attractive. They could take advantage of it, right? Um, I did see something where the EU recently said that they want to be the regulatory leader in, in, in some more of these technological yeah. spaces. I did you know, question whether or not regulatory leader was the, the kind of adequate phrase. Does that scare away innovation? Does that come through? But if you're, you know, personally, I think it's a crazy phrase to kind of put down. But I, I do yeah. understand their point. They want to be the place that's safest for currencies to exist or, or, or the or yeah, innovation yeah. to happen. There's a balance, right? You, you can't regulate what you don't have. And you first have to attract those things in there to be uh, intent. And it's a marketplace, right? So if Portugal don't have... Um, taxes on crypto or some i don't know what it is but it seems to be portugal for instance in the, in europe is a, a very attractive place for people in crypto to go and live. i don't live in portugal I live in london yeah. it attracts a lot it attracts a lot of talent it attracts a lot of players to come to that market um it's just uh the money should go where it's most attractive for the money to go um everybody yeah. should compete for that everybody should make offerings towards that um and if governments don't offer a, a satisfactory market for people to want to put their liquidity in and want to utilize their wealth wealth then competition you know rules would state that they, they would lose out so they have to compete i hope that was as okay. diplomatic as, as i hoped it was yeah yeah that was well put. <laughs> you're doing great honestly i'm very impressed i'm, I'm yeah um Okay, I've got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Um, maybe more philosophical questions, and then we okay. can come back to more technical details about Fuse if you want. You can sure. take this wherever you want, actually. But, um, like, I'm curious, because you're obviously very involved in the space, and you have your feet on the ground. Where do you, What is your belief as to what... Um, like how will how do you think crypto will have the biggest impact in the next like two or three years and do you foresee a lot of mainstream adoption and if so what do you think it will look like yeah i mean i, I really think that the payments opportunity the one that we're focused on really in terms of, of that I, I think that's a great opportunity i think that um areas where they, you have underserved communities that don't have access to financial tools. You, you see the adoption of mobile technology is quite strong, right? So more, more people mm. have mobiles than they do bank accounts or, or access to kind of financial tools or instruments. Uh, so we, you know, we really foresee that uh, as as a big important part. You know, when people talk about onboard the next one billion users, I think that's going to be a big part of it as well. Um, so do you th just quickly interject because that's an interesting point too. Do you think that the most adoption will happen in the least served communities, like the like banking the unbanked is often a term. Like, do you think that's where it's going to explode first, and not maybe the Western world where people already have banks? Um, I mean, I guess it's, it's it depends how the opportunities begin to shape themselves, right? So if if okay. if those underserved communities begin to kind of become more involved in in that space as they go forward. And that becomes an investable opportunity for venture capital and for investors and just part and parcel for everybody to come and be, be involved in. 
you'll see a double explosion, right? You'll see a growth uh, that goes through in this place. I guess it's kind of like if you think about a network and TVL, um, as the TVL in the network goes up, the token price goes up, and as the token price up goes up, the TVL goes up. So I think it's a mm-hmm. uh, it's a parallel it's a parallel opportunity. So if there right. is an opportunity for that attracts liquidity and capital, as I mentioned before, I think that, that that will come through. And I think by giving people opportunities and access to the tools to decide what they're going to do with it and, and, and how to go through. There's a company that's a great example of this um, in Nigeria. And I, I always forget the name of this company. I read it in a book, uh, Prosperity Paradox. It's kind of interesting where they became one of the most valuable private companies and they were very focused in terms of mobile adoption hmm. um, in building infrastructure for, for telecoms. Um, I have to remember the name of the company. If not, maybe you can fill it in later on. I'll, I'll dig it out later on. But they couldn't get the funding from the bank. They couldn't get this way. And they were always raising capital as we go through. And it's viewed as a market of non-consumption. Um, that, you know, people don't have the money. They don't need the funds. They don't have, there's no market for these phones that exist. There's no, mar- there's no market, therefore, for this thing to be developed that would be out there. But as the infrastructure is put in place and as the opportunity grew with that, uh, mobile, <coughs> sorry, mobile um, uptake began to improve and more mobiles are there now. And now this presents an opportunity for uh, providers like us who are focused on mobile payments or providers like Mpenza, who are doing great work in Kenya. There was, a, there was a market created out of a market of non-consumption. So it's not always the most obvious place where the money goes to or, or where the opportunity exists. But if you're in a position where you, you can view a market or you can create something that exists there, then the money will flow to the right opportunity. So, <coughs> sorry again. I'm not, I'm not strictly saying that mobile payments is the way forward, but I see an opportunity there. But it right. could be in a market of non-consumption, for instance, where, you know, it's, Maybe Visa use it because it's easier to, to, to utilize mobile technology through a partner in a locality who have the ability and the experience to hunt in that space than it is to set up their own infrastructure there. And so therefore, maybe uh, Visa funds somebody who, who goes in there or invests in, in, a, in a company that go in there. Hmm. Maybe everybody just uses Fuse across the world to transact and all that. You know, I'd love that, right, of course. Yeah. Um, you know, that mobile payments market we see in 2025 is, is going to be worth, I think, $148 billion. You know, we're not out there trying to take the whole thing. We're, we're out there yeah, trying yeah. to take a proportion of it. Because I don't think that, I don't even think that with the number of users that come on board, that any one player can claim they have the infrastructure to manage this. This is a load balancing, um, this is a load balancing exercise right now. Let's just say tomorrow everybody decided that the only chain out there for anyone and everyone was, I don't know, the ABAX or Avalanche or something like this. And everybody piled onto Avalanche and all of these users for the next 10 years piled onto Avalanche. If, you know, could they handle a billion users in a week or so? No, no one could do that. No one is out there able with the infrastructure to manage that. Things would, you'd have these issues of scalability, you'd have all these issues of all these other, as it would come through. Everybody has a play. The future in our mind is multi-chain, right? So that right. freedom to move between all these chains that exist in the future is, is what we believe in. Right. It's necessary based on the amount of humans we have. Uh, 100%, <laughs> limited, yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah, the limited capacity of... of um, <laughs> Computing we, power. We, we, and, you know, if you, I don't know if you go to many of the, the conferences or many of the it's fantastic space, fantastic community, by the way. I, I've been wanting people. to. None of them are in Edmonton yet. So. East Montreal <laughs> soon. Been... East Montreal is soon, right? So yeah. That's, uh, and that's not far away. I'll, I'll double check the date for you, but East Montreal's coming soon, yeah. That's a, that okay, a good cool. Show. Will you, got, you be going um, to that? I think I will not be, but I do think we've got some people going there. We're actually, um, we've got some guys that'll be over there. Yeah, I think so. But we'll definitely, okay. we'll definitely hook up at that point. Um, East Montreal is there. Okay, I might, I might find a date. pop in on when that. You go to these, when you go there and when you have the conversations with people, you would expect <coughs> from a traditional background that everybody's competing or competitive or trying to win market share. Right. Traditional corporate background is that way, right? So I come from a corporate background, channel management specifically. I come from a corporate background where people are sniping at each other for market share and you don't necessarily <laughs> want to give everything and it's like that. It is not like that in these conferences. There's so much opportunity that, that comes with this space and that we all believe is coming. But mm-hmm. with the amount of growth that's coming through, like I mentioned about the low balancing, it just provides this really like great energy, like um, really collaborative, really highly innovative people are just willing to work together there's always opportunity for everybody to work together mm. of course it doesn't not everybody works with each other not, not all the terms pass out but everybody wants to have a conversation how to work together in more and maybe in 15 to 20 years time uh, when, when we're a bit more of an established industry and there's less market growth and share to be kind of going after maybe then we start stifling each other for some market share with each other but at this point in time there's so much to be gained so much to grow and, you know 
go to East Montreal. Go there, have the conversations with everybody who's there. You'll just see how how fun the, the space is in general and how, how committed people are to, you know, this kind of ideology that we've all signed up to. Hmm. Yeah, that is, it's really amazing to see, actually. I have noticed it in different communities, a lot of online communities, and just the way people talk is so much different than the traditional corporate world. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that actually originally drew me into the space was just feeling like, wow, this is so different than like regular software startups. Um, do you think uh, you some know, of that the other thing is uh, everybody, yeah. like everybody in this, I'm not meaning to be disparaged, but everybody in the space is just super small as well. Like you just, yeah. everybody is, you know, it's, it's crazy. Everybody's above average. Um, if you take some of these people, <laughs> you put them in traditional corporate roles, you start speaking like if you saw that person in your traditional corporate, you're like, wow, this this guy or this girl is is, is amazing. Like, what what a what a benefit to the company. You put this person in here, and everybody's on the same level. Everybody's just operating at a really high level of cognition, and they're just uh, fast thinking, creative, and, like very free with their thinking. It's it's, it's an amazing space to be in. I'm somehow not surprised by that, and I have heard <laughs> I have heard that from a lot of different sources that like um, there's a bit of an issue where all the I mean, uh, I don't, yeah, maybe all the brightest minds of like Silicon Valley are hopping over to crypto world. Um, the opportunity exists. Do, do you and think, like we say, the capital is going to go, the resource is going to go, capital resource or capital deployment, yeah. financial deployment, it's going to go where it's most attractive. There, there's got to be something to the um, the nature of the open source um, standard too. Like um, most crypto projects are open sourced, are they not? Like where you can either yeah, fork yeah, something I mean, or copy the code. And so I would imagine that also plays into this um, feeling of, I don't know, camaraderie or or sh- shared culture where it's like, yeah, you know, if, if you can copy your code, you're, you can't compete in the same way when everything's behind closed doors. And there are some things behind closed doors, but a lot of it, for, from my perspective, is open facing. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that, that makes sense, right? And the... But that also is, you also have to remember that if everybody's got access to your code and everybody's working on it or pushing commits or whatever it would be, uh, that's a whole industry working on your, working on yeah. the, the involvement of your project, right? You also like, don't you know, necessarily a, want that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it helps you move forward. Like if, if there's a set of eyes that are not on my project or not on our project that, that have decided, mm. oh, that we can improve this project by this way. Well, you right. know what? If they fork that and improve, improve the future chain as we you know we're i should point out that we're a fork right we're a fork of what was poa at the time that became x that is now gnosis so we're a gnosis fork mm. in that context but um if we fork gnosis and we've improved it and i'm not saying we have in that context but you know we, we've done our own version of it, it's very robust um if we've improved gnosis and then somebody forks the fuse network and says actually well this is a better version of the fuse network that we forked now well we're gonna say yeah okay that is a better version we're going to adopt that improvement in the Fuse network going forward. Right. And it becomes this ripple effect of just um, innovation throughout the chain. But it, so many more minds and eyes and just people want to do things that are just interesting and people are, people are motivated to, to kind of make the space better as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always amazed by the composability and the, um, like the additive nature of it where it's just, you know, people add in little ways and it, it, it blows up. Um Okay, well, I think I'm I'm almost out of questions. I've this has been really really great. I I was going to ask you maybe one final thing because I'm really curious. Oh, please, like, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin's kind of still this, like it's still the proof of work, mm. the first one. Um, and do you still see it as? I mean, you have your Bitcoin maxis in one camp. You have people who are like, uh, to hell with Bitcoin. And you have people who are kind of just like, yeah, it's another currency. Um, what? How do you view it in, in the landscape of things? And, and do you think that it has some value that's different than most of these other currencies? Or is it all the same, even though it's proof of work? Hmm. It's an interesting question, right? Everybody has a different opinion about that. Um, I think proof yeah. of work still has some value. I, I mean, I like I like the... I, Personally, I like the idea of a proof of work alternative being out there. Proof of, we're proof of stake, but it's also good to have proof of work competition, right? You, you mm-hmm. should have alternatives that you want to go into. Um, I think the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin is, is stronger than probably the majority of the space in, in, in DeFi as well, right? So there's there's an additive there that it brings on more people. I like the, you know, you can't argue with maths, right? You cannot argue with maths. There are 21 million Bitcoin. 
there are no more than 21 million Bitcoin, it, it's final. Uh, even when people put the argument about God, we're going to forward project here a little bit longer, right? Just to kind of talk about that. When people talk about gold, um, you know, as a physical, intrinsic store of value, right? I mean, gold's too expensive to do what it's good at, right? It's great at conducting electricity. It's too expensive to conduct electricity with a great wiring. It's, it's a premium product yeah. now. So is that, is that a utility and intrinsic value? I don't, I don't know. The jury's out on that. But let's say that some of these uh, uh, more adventurous tech companies are able to mine asteroids and or the moon or something like this the finality of gold that existed on the planet is no longer final you know it's no longer finite as it was before it's right. expand so gold starts to increase in, in number does bitcoin get mined um do you buy do you mine bitcoin on the moon do you find more than 21 million bitcoin you kind of don't there's a finality to it there's a there's kind of mm. a mathematical material premise to it so it's interesting from that concept and i think that helps definitely a lot of people who are a lot more traditionally financially minded and see that the mathematical part and say okay bitcoin is this it definitely helps people come into the space so i think it has value to come into the space i think sailor is convinced that dollars <laughs> yeah rand are going to become derivatives of bitcoin i mean it's possible i don't i don't outline i don't know if it definitely will but uh, mm. it's possible right it can become a, it's finite there's no more additive value to that it can become a a derivative of, of Bitcoin, and you'd be pretty so you'd be pretty sure about what it's a derivative of, and eventually it will tail off. The growth won't go on forever. Maybe it will. I don't know. Hopefully it does. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm holding, <laughs> so hopefully it goes on forever. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got no problem with that. But when more people come into Bitcoin and they say, "Oh, well, I'm not completely. I like this asset. I like this asset as a commodity or currency, whatever you want to call it as. Um, I just feel like there could be better utility. Oh, Lightning Network doesn't quite cut that. Oh. I, What's going on on Ethereum? Okay, you have all these different projects that go. It, it becomes like a, a, for want of a better phrase, it's like a gateway drug. You know, one day, <laughs> yeah. you, one day you're drinking a beer, and then you know, <laughs> and the next day you're you're on psilocybin or something along those lines. You, you're off, you're off in your own little world, right? So you, you have so, these opportunities to kind of be expansive. I what like drug it. are I What like drug it. are you? What drug is Fuse? <laughs> ah, I don't know. Right, Fuse is. Um, yeah, I guess it's. That's a good question. What drug is Fuse? What drug would you call Fuse at this point in time? Let me let me think about that. I've never thought about the answer. That was a good question. What about what? What would you say based on what I've said to you? What, what would you think about it if Bitcoin's oh, a beer? Oh man, if Bitcoin's a beer, if Bitcoin's a beer, oh I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it's acid. Maybe it's something. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. You know, maybe when we do this again, I'll have a more solid answer for you. Yeah, you can think on it. You can think on it. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more about a cocktail. I'm thinking on a cocktail basis that maybe we're an espresso martini right at this point in time where. You can, you can you can have your fun with it, but you, it's also going to bring you up. You're going to say, "Shop, mind if you can have opportunities that exist whilst you're on these okay. martinis, as opposed to just drinking." Yeah, when we start going into the other the, 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 the realm of um, recreational psychedelics or things like that, and it's a good spectrum that I've not investigated. That uh, you know, mm. I'm definitely going to develop that answer as, <laughs> as the time goes through. But you know, that's a good question. I like it. I, I often yeah. have an answer. This one I don't have an answer to. So good, yeah, good yeah that's a funny question. Um, okay, well, is, I, think, I like, think you should incorporate this. You know, at the end, of yeah, it, should make it. Bitcoin's a beer. Bitcoin's what are you? Beer, what are that's, you? Thing, yeah. <laughs> that's actually maybe I'll start with that. That would really throw people off guard. But yeah, I like it. Um, I have to I, I'll I probably like ask that again. It's a good. It's a, it's yeah. good. It's a good conversation. So, <laughs> I I I'm out of questions. Um, is there? Anything else you want to, before we close, is there anything else you want to talk about uh, with Fuse or share? Um, maybe something that you're excited about that's upcoming? I'll, I'll just hand the mic over um, to you. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, we're really focused now on on bringing this kind of concept of mobile payments powered off the back of the Fuse blockchain and DeFi. That's so a DeFi, like I said, is, is half of what we have. And really that, that, when people come on board, when we onboard more people through payments, uh, that they're going to want to find, okay, what, what can I do with my money? You know, I've just earned this money or I've got this money that they want to be able to earn yield on it, whether they put it in their bank account and, or in their 0.001% savings account. Like, you still put it in there even though you earn nothing because you want to earn something. Well, these opportunities all exist, and I think that the DeFi in its current form is still very much in discovery mode, and, and you have some CFI providers that are providing more stable um, yields around that, less adventurous. Um, but, the, you know, for those with risk planet, you have opportunities that go through there and there are some stable yields that can be earned on Fuse as they come through. There are some more adventurous um, 
more exotic financial DeFi products that could be um, taken advantage of views. Uh, again, it's like a, it's a gateway for people to come on board and, and begin to kind of build that. We all talk about this concept of intergenerational wealth, right? So intergenerational mm. enterprise, intergenerational wealth. We, 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 we look for payments to be that that product and that place for people to come in on board. Um, so payments, very focused on payments. Uh, we were looking to launch an ecosystem fund uh, probably around September time, like the hard work starts on that right now, so probably around six months. We'll be doing um, Token 2049 in Singapore, um, so we encourage people to reach out to us. You know, we'll be at all the shows, right? We're, we're kind of, we're, we're load balancing at the moment between the team. We're trying to make sure that we have as much presence at many of the shows. We'll have somebody in Montreal, like we discussed earlier. Um, mm. and we'll have somebody at permission, we'll have somebody at consensus. Like, if you're in town like reach out to us you know you can go through the fuse um you can go through the fuse telegram chat you can just reach out to us on twitter you know we're there we're always open to having chances if we can make if we if we, we have time we make it available we want to have conversations if you have interesting ideas you want to build projects you know we want this to be an environment that's attractive for users to bring their liquidity it's attractive for developers that, that want to come on board um that think that fuse is an attractive macro um macro environment for them to launch their projects on um we want what we call Fuse natives. We want people who join the crypto space to be infused by the idea of Fuse, Fuse, uh, infused, Fuse, yeah. infused <laughs> as, uh, Fuse being the, the blockchain that they come on board to. You know, we, we want mm. that to be an easy blockchain to use, to be a functional blockchain to use with, with like real world utility. But we also want to get a few of the same options that, um, that uh, other chains are on their route. But, you know, we're, we're, we're a super talkative team. We're, we're happy to connect with anybody. And we could talk for hours with anybody and everybody. It doesn't, doesn't matter what background you're from. If you want to reach out, you want to have a conversation, we're always open to that. So, you know, reach out via the, the, the Telegram channel, reach out via Twitter. If you're at any of those events, let us know. Let's, you know, let's put it together and let's have a conversation. Can people find the Telegram through your website? Uh, yeah, or they can. There'll be, a, there'll be a small Telegram. So if you use the IO as the website and then okay. there'll be a Telegram symbol at the bottom. We have Discord as well if you prefer Discord. And, there's a Twitter as well if you want to DM on Twitter. You know, DMs are open, so I'm more than happy to pick them up from there. It may take a bit more time on Twitter, I'll be honest with you. We have active community managers on Telegram, uh, but the nice. DMs on Twitter can sometimes get a bit flooded. Great. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thank nice. you so much for doing this. This was a pleasure, and I'm excited to follow along as you guys uh, continue to develop. Yeah, awesome. No, thank you so much uh, for having us. You know, I really enjoyed the conversation. Let's do it again uh, in a couple of months or yeah. something like that. You hope, and hopefully the progress that I'm breaching will, will, will have passed and we can have more conversation about what drug the Fuse Network is. is <laughs> yeah, you can give an answer <laughs> to that question. Yeah, we'll, we'll for sure follow up in a couple of months. That would be great. Excellent. Okay, thanks, Carl. Thank you, Chris. Thanks.